Hello, good morning. Happy Tuesday. I hope you all have a, a lovely morning. I'm having like, I literally sat down in this chair five seconds ago. So I'm, I'm having a little, <clears throat> I'm behind. I'm a little behind. Okay. Morning, but we're doing good. The show must and shall and continues to go on. Welcome. Glad you're here. Happy to see you. Jamming to that intro song every goddamn morning is right. Hello. Oh boy. What a day. I feel disheveled. I think I have everything in order for you guys. Let's get started, shall we? If you're new here, my name's Leija. I'm a real-life lawyer on a mission to demystify the law and how it affects your everyday life. I'm not a journalist, and I'm not unbiased. I'm just your lawyer friend who likes to read the news and talk to you about it. Basically, I read the news so that you don't have to, but you probably still should. Am I right? If you're watching on YouTube, Super Chats and Super Stickers are enabled, and they help this channel be what it is, so any donation is greatly appreciated. Let's get right into the latest headlines. As promised, we are going to discuss Merrill v. Milligan. Okay, so let's get into it. Today, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in the case Merrill v. Milligan. This case has huge implications for racial gerrymandering. So I wanted to go into detail about the case and the issues that will be argued. So this case is related to Alabama's congressional maps. Let's just pull those bad boys up. There are seven congressional districts, and as they're currently drawn, only one of these seven, district number seven, in fact, could plausibly elect a black representative, basically. That one, this one district is home to about 14% of the state's total population. But the black population in Alabama sits around 27%. So they've clumped a huge portion of the black population into this one district. Notice how these lines just kind of go up and then go around and come down. They've clumped most of them into this district and then spread the rest out throughout the other six, six districts so they don't have any real numbers to vote in any way that would make a difference in these other districts. So this is called gerrymandering. This is how drawing district lines is able to dilute the black, black voting block or other minority voting block. Um, and that's what this case is about. Back in January, a panel of three appellate judges, two of whom, I will add, were appointed by Trump, made a 225-page ruling on this because the legal test for gerrymandering is so complex. Basically, this is being brought under the Voting Rights Act. Um, there was a Supreme Court case a while ago that said that under the Voting Rights Act, you can't bring political gerrymandering cases, meaning you can't bring cases saying that these lines are being drawn to make this district Democratic or Republican. That's not valid. But this is a racial gerrymandering case where they're saying these lines are being drawn to divide up the black voting public so that they don't have any real numbers anywhere other than this one district. 
That technically is still allowed under the Voting Rights Act. However, it is really convoluted. It's so complex. It's, it's hard for plaintiffs to bring one of these cases. It requires the plaintiffs to show that the state's black population is sufficiently large and geographically compact to constitute a majority within another district. Meaning they have to show that if this were to be redrawn, it could be redrawn in such a way that there would be two majority black districts. And this is like a hypothetical exercise. So they have to hire like mathematicians to like go through and, and make hypothetical new drawings of what that map would look like. Oh, which takes time and money. They also must show that the black voters tend to vote for the same party, while white voters tend to vote together for the opposing candidates or parties. So they have to show that they're voting in mass, but they're being divided so that that those numbers are less have less of a voice. And that's just the beginning. Then there's a nine factor test that they have to prove to show that a finding of gerrymandering is valid. Like the hurdles are immense. And despite these hurdles, the appellate court in this case ultimately ruled that Alabama indeed had gerrymandered and must redraw the map, which would have the effect of potentially doubling the number of black U.S. House members from Alabama based on the proposed new map out of the appellate circuit. This was then, of course, appealed up to the Supreme Court, who ordered a temporary stay on the ruling. So it's not going to go into effect for these midterm elections. So this is the map that will hold for the upcoming elections in November. Basically, they were saying, wait till we can actually review this on the merits before changing the status quo. Let's just keep it as it is and we'll rule on it once we have a, a time to make a determination, which frankly doesn't bode well, because if they thought that they would have won on the merits, they probably would not have stayed it for the midterm elections. The Supreme Court, as is usually the case, has the option to either decide this case. Again, we're talking about Merrill v. Milligan. They have the option to either decide this case on very narrow grounds based on these facts in this state, or they could make a more sweeping ruling, perhaps doing away with the current gerrymandering precedent, all of those factors and stuff, perhaps setting new rules to prove gerrymandering, perhaps making it next to impossible to ever bring a racial gerrymandering claim, further eroding the safeguards put in place by the Voting Rights Act. Alabama, for its part, the party arguing against a finding of gerrymandering, has proposed a number of ways that the court could go about getting rid of gerrymandering claims altogether and finding in their favor. The most drastic being that they have proposed that plaintiffs in redrawing new district maps shouldn't be allowed to pay too much attention to race while redrawing those hypothetical maps, which fully defeats the purpose of bringing a racial gerrymandering claim to begin with. Uh, because if they have to show that there are two potential black districts, if lines were redrawn, but they can't take race into consideration when proposing the redrawn lines, 
how's that going to work? How riddle me that make it make sense. You know what I mean? So the, if they side with Alabama, there's a number of different things that Alabama has proposed that would to change this up, to change up the law around gerrymandering in ways that would make it even more convoluted or just get a do away with it altogether. Anyway, it's an absolute mess. And the Supreme Court will now suss out whether it's a mess that they're going to untangle specific to Alabama or if it's a mess that they're going to untangle and apply it across the entire country. And given that Justice Roberts, okay, Justice Roberts dissented to the stay, meaning he dissented to their decision to make this map the official map for this upcoming midterm election, he dissented to that. But he did say that he would like to revisit this issue of gerrymandering. He wants he wants to revisit it. So something tells me we're going to see potentially a reworking of gerrymandering laws on a national level, further eviscerating the Voting Rights Act. Time will only tell how sprawling these will be. And that's the basic background of Merrill v. Milligan. Like I said, oral arguments are today. As I mentioned yes in yesterday's stream, you can watch or not watch. You can listen to oral arguments now at the Supreme Court. Um, you just got to Google Supreme Court oral arguments. Usually they start at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So that's in 20 minutes. That's in 20 minutes. If you want to listen, it's a fun civic activity <laughs> if you have the time. Um, so the arguments today, the decision isn't going to come out for a while. So who's to say what will come of it? And we don't, won't know for a bit, but hopefully this is a good primer for you. And you can come back to this once the ruling actually comes down and you've forgotten what this is about. I certainly will need a refresher because <clears throat> it always takes a long time. And information kind of comes into one ear and kind of leaves the other one a lot of times with me sometimes. Got to write things down. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Let's see your comments. Let's turn to the comments. I've been conditioned to expect the worst. Yeah, at this point, there was a time when that wasn't the case. That time has passed. Fun to do a stream where you listen to it live and comment. That would be interesting. Might be boring. <laughs> I also, like, to be, to be for me to be able to, like, do that, I would need to have a pretty deep understanding of this case and gerrymandering law. It would be fun to see an, an expert on gerrymandering law do that. I don't know how much I would be able to add. I'm given I'm given high 40,000 feet overview of this case. And while I was actually, uh, yeah, it might be boring. Or have you listened to oral argument? Court is boring as hell. Um, while I was researching this, I found some other like just absolutely absurd, um. Hold on, let me just pull these up. Absolutely absurd maps of other districts. There's one in Pennsylvania, I think, specifically, that is, like, truly absurd. Let me see. Sorry. Pennsylvania gerrymandering map. Gerryman like, look at this. Hold on. Hold on. 
Oh, come on. Sorry. I just I, I just want to show you guys this. Do you see it? This is this was a district in <laughs> this was a district in Pennsylvania. This is what it looked like. This is what people are doing. Thank you for the super chat. Is there a good ethical use for redrawing districts? Yeah, it does seem like a sh I agree. The only like the reason why you redraw districts supposedly is to make sure that the population numbers match up with what the Constitution requires the population numbers to be. They have to be equal. According to the Constitution. Um, so you got to redraw the line sometimes because humans move around. But this. This. There's no need. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. Oh, I love listening to other divorce in other. Yeah, that's because divorce is fun. That's why I that's why I practice it. Not to make light of your divorce. It's a hard time. Oh, man, what a mess. Right. Politicians are in charge of fairness and they have skin in the game at the same time. Make it make sense. Thank you for the super chat. A really absurd district is Ohio's previous snake on the lake. Let's see. Let's take a look. Ohio snake on the lake. Show me the map. It's just showing me images of snakes. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> okay. Bada bing. I believe it's this boy. This long boy. Like this is from a while ago, but yeah, that's funny. Oh, and this boy, yeah, we got some, we got a bit of a mess in Ohio as well. Make it make sense. Make this all make sense. It don't. Oh, this is an, this protest picture too. Here he's he's holding out a cutout of one of the districts. <laughs> voters voters choose their representatives, not the other way around. Representatives aren't supposed to be able to choose their voters. Oh, boy. Does she respond on Twitch? I sure do. I sure do. Thanks for being here. So, that's that. Uh, let's see. Do I have... Yeah, in other news, in other Supreme Court news, the Supreme Court just agreed to hear a case this term about CDA 230. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Let's talk about it. I've made videos about this because I find it fascinating. Basically, it's a provision written in the 90s that gives websites sweeping immunity for anything posted on their site. They cannot be held liable if people are posting revenge porn or horrible hate speech or defamatory content. Places like Facebook and YouTube, etc. cannot be held liable for that under CDA 230. There's a great book called The 26 Words that invented the internet, I think it's called, or changed the internet. Sorry, can't remember. I've read it though. It's all about CDA 230. If you want to get into the nitty gritty of it, it kind of stems from, or yeah, stems from publishing law. Like when are publishers of like books and magazines held, held liable for the things published within and usually for publishers, it's 
they're held liable for because they have an editorial role over what's being published in their newspaper or in their books or whatever. But a bookseller is not going to be held liable for the content in the books that they're selling. So there's that like editorial distinction. CDA 230 says places like Facebook, YouTube, they're not editorializing. They're just allowing people to post content. So they should not be held liable for the content being posted. And this was made in like 1996 when the internet was brand new and people were just trying to allow it to flourish. And then there's, of course, First Amendment absolutists who think that the internet should be a bastion for free speech at all costs to every other right that anyone else has. Like you should be able to say literally anything you want on the internet, according to some free speech absolutists. I made a, a video called uh, Elon Musk's version of the First Amendment. I go a lot deeper into First Amendment absolutism there and how it's a bunch of bullshit. Um, so the proponents of CDA 230 are places like Facebook and Google and Frankly, sorry, I know I'm on YouTube, which is a Google-owned platform, but if if a large if Facebook is in favor of it, I'm pretty skeptical. Let's say that um, they love it because they don't have to be regulated. They don't. They can get sued left and right, and they can claim CDA 230, and they they do away with it, and they don't have to face any liability. However, there's been a huge push in recent years to get rid of CDA 230 and make a new law or rewrite CDA 230. Partially that push was successful back in, I think, 2016. They passed FOSTA-SESTA, um, which made a carve out where um, websites are now liable for content that's posted that um, facilitates sex trafficking. However, it's the dumbest law ever written because it doesn't distinguish between sex work and sex trafficking. So it's extremely marginalized sex workers by pushing them off to the margins, getting rid of the websites that they relied on in order to find safe work and push them back out onto the streets in, or into other unsafe scenarios. So attempts to rewrite CDA 230 have failed miserably, um, but there's been a huge push to somehow create regulations for these companies to face some sort of penalties for allowing certain content to be posted on their platforms like the fact that websites can be made entirely based upon the proliferation of revenge porn and have no consequences for the creators of the website stuff like that is fucked up okay so that's cda 230 that's the background and now i even saw an ad recently within the last year from facebook that was pro CDA 230 and reforming the law because I think these large companies like Facebook and Google are starting to realize that like regulation is coming. So they want to get ahead of the conversation and say like, oh yeah, we're, we're pro regulation. We're pro this specific type of regulation instead of being completely against it because they know it's coming. So they're trying to get out ahead of it and they have the lobbying dollars to do it. So it's a mess. Clearly I could go on and on about this, but I won't. The case that the Supreme Court just agreed to hear. Uh, let's see. It is called, hello, v. Gonzalez v. Google. Um, it is around Section 230. It is about, it is a case brought by the family of a victim of the Islamic State suing Google for allowing the Islamic State to use YouTube for recruitment purposes basically allowing Islamic State YouTube videos to be on the platform. So they're suing, saying that 
YouTube, Google should be held because Google owns YouTube should be held liable for this, this content and for the damage that it's caused them. And of course they immediately hid behind CDA 230. And now the Supreme court is bringing it, is bringing it up for them to decide because it is this huge question that no one's been able to answer. Do I think it should probably be answered by legislators and not the Supreme court? Yes. Yes. But we'll get an answer either way. We don't know. I don't know when it's going to be argued. They just agreed that they're going to hear it this term at some point. Um, the, the main question being, does CDA 230 immunize a website when they make targeted recommendations? So when YouTube on the side of what you're watching right now says, hey, if you like this, you should watch this, this, and this. When YouTube does that, are they still protected by CDA 230 or is that more like editorializing in the publishing world to where they should be held liable for the things that they're recommending? That's the question. So it'll be interesting to see what the Supreme Court says about this. Um, it's a really fascinating area of cyber internet law that has been talked about a lot. Okay, what are we talking about? Elon Musk still in these comments? Yeah, sex workers can identify as sex workers. The law will identify them as trafficked, and the sex worker still somehow is punished for it. I've already done a deep dive video on it. It's old. Uh, I believe the video is titled um, This Law... Uh, something like this law completely changed the internet and you've probably never heard of it or something like that. It's from, I don't know, probably a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, the law doesn't distinguish between sex work and sex trafficking. Craigslist was one of the sites that went down. The personals section was... Frequently used by sex workers to find and vet potential clients. Yeah, there's there's some libertarian. The there's a there's an org called like the Free Electronic Free EFF, something like that. They're they're like the the libertarians of the internet. What the hell are they called? Free internet i don't know the eff no i can't find i don't know i'm not going to sit here just googling stuff again for you um will i be listening to oral arguments today no unfortunately my day is freaking packed i got a dentist appointment i got a doctor's appointment i got other stuff to do i've got a trial on thursday things are Things are things are packed for me in this moment. Okay. Um, okay. Another thing that I really wanted to cover quickly was this very funny thing that I really loved that made me really chuckle. This is not Supreme Court related. Oh, it is Supreme Court related. Wow, we're having a real Supreme Court day. Okay. In a case out of Ohio, a man made a satirical Facebook page about the local police department which was modeled after the police department's real page but included obvious parodies such as the slogan, We Know Crime. 
and a post saying that the department would ban homeless people in an attempt to the to have the homeless population. Oh, wait, sorry. Yeah. A post saying that the department would ban homeless people in an attempt to have the homeless population eventually leave our city due to starvation. And the fact that that probably confused people because it almost seems real is the reason why it's parody and why parody is important. If you thought that was real, what does that say about the police department, the real one, you know? Anyway, he was arrested and he spent four days in jail for this Facebook, fake Facebook that he made. And he was put on trial for it as well. The jury found him not guilty. And now he's suing the city in Ohio, saying that his civil rights were violated for being tried over a parody, which is a, an explicitly protected form of free speech. Um, he lost in the lower courts on his civil rights claims because of what else? Qualified immunity, which basically protects police officers if they can show, and other government officials, if they can show even a modicum of proof that what they were doing was part of the job. So he lost. And he's appealing it up to the Supreme Court. And his lawyers reached out to The Onion, the most famous parody newspaper in America. And The Onion wrote an amicus brief in support of this guy's appeal up to the Supreme Court. And my friends, it is glorious. Let's let's take a look, shall we? Reminder, this was filed with the Supreme Court of the United States. Beautiful. Great. I'm just going to, I'm just, we're just going to look at the first couple pages because they have all the gems we could ever want. And yet there's like 23 total pages. First, they introduce who The Onion is. Rising from its humble beginnings as a print newspaper in 1756, The Onion now enjoys a daily readership of 4.3 trillion and has grown into the single most powerful and influential organization in human history. This was filed with the United States Supreme Court. On top of its journalistic pursuits, The Onion also owns and operates the majority of the world's transoceanic shipping lanes, stands on the nation's leading edge on matters of deforestation and strip mining, and proudly conducts tests on millions of animals daily. <laughs> uh, the Onion's journalists have garnered a sterling reputation for accurately forecasting future events. One such coup was The Onion's scoop revealing that a former president kept nuclear secrets strewn around his beach home's basement Three years before it even happened. Notice the footnote. Footnotes down here. See Mar-a-Lago assistant manager wondering if anyone coming to collect nuclear briefcase from Lost and Found. The Onion from 2017. And I'm pretty sure this is real. Hold on. Yeah. It's real. They cite, they cite to a real thing that they wrote in 2017. <laughs> Basically being like, we're pretty prescient. We know stuff. Anyway, it's a joke, but it's also funny. Introduction of the argument. Americans can be put in jail for poking fun at the government? This was a surprise to America's finest news source and an uncomfortable learning experience for its editorial team. Indeed, Ohio police officers arrest prosecute man who made fun of them on Facebook might sound like a headline ripped from the front pages of The Onion. And then they go through the arguments. First, the obvious. The Onion's business model was threatened. This was the only this was only the latest occasion on which the absurdity of actual events managed to eclipse what the Onion staff could make up. Much more of this, and the front page of the Onion would be indistinguishable from the New York Times. Put simply, 
For parody to work, it has to plausibly mimic the original. The Sixth Circuit's decision in this case would condition the First Amendment's protection for parody upon a requirement that parodists explicitly say up front that their work is nothing more than an elaborate fiction, but that would strip parody of the very thing that makes it function. The Onion cannot stand idly by in the face of a ruling that threatens to disembowel a form of rhetoric that has existed for millennia, that is particularly potent in the realm of political debate, and that, purely incidentally, forms the basis of, of The Onion's writers paychecks okay and then just just a little just a little bit more so the first part of their argument parody functions by tricking people into thinking that it's real Two stole to zest. You are dumb. These three Latin words have been the Onion's motto and guiding light since it was founded in 1988 as America's finest news source leading its writers toward the paper's singular purpose of pointing out that its readers are deeply gullible people the Onion's motto is central to this brief for two important reasons First, it's in Latin, and The Onion knows that the federal judiciary is staffed entirely by total Latin dorks. <laughs> this was submitted to the United States Supreme Court. Anyway, it goes on and on from there, making very valid arguments. And frankly, the way that this was written in and of itself was a valid argument of the power of parody and why it matters and why it's important to be able to make fun of especially your government and how it is a central tenant to our free speech rights that we should be able to do so. Again, I am not a First Amendment absolutist, but where parody of the government is concerned, where we can make fun of people and have a good chuckle, that is a right. That is the hill I will die on. Anyway, I just thought this was very fun. I don't know how far it's going to go because, man, qualified immunity is a sticky little bugger that often trumps anything else. But I just loved that the that the onion stepped in and did this. How fun. How fun. The onion is literally everything. Comedy. Comedy is important. Yeah, it does seem like an actual First Amendment violation. And they then they argue that throughout throughout this amicus brief but they do so in a way that's just so clever and funny oh my gosh i love it i love it <sighs> exactly parody also opens your eyes to problems within your government that maybe you wouldn't have noticed before it's it's a it's a method of social commentary and to be able to put someone in prison not prison in jail for it is pretty messed up Oh, you want a link to this? Oh, you want a link to this? Well, let me see here. Oh. Yeah. Let me see. I don't know if this is going to... There we go. Use your link, children. All right. And then my final note, because it's nine o'clock, we're, we're going to move on over to probably probably falls into consumption corner territory. We're going to talk about Kim K. Kim K. Peruge. Peruge. Always in the news. That old Kim K. She's been slapped with a one point two six million dollar fine by the SEC. That's the Securities and Exchange Commission, who is in charge of like financial transactions. She's been fined this $1.26 million over an Instagram story. A single Instagram story. She was paid $250,000 
for this one Instagram story, not even a post, a story that is one that lasts for 24 hours to promote a new cryptocurrency called Ethereum Max. In this Instagram story, she wrote, are you guys into crypto? (laughs) This is not financial advice, but sharing what my friends just told me about the Ethereum Max token and then shared links to it for people to buy. Um, She did not, however, put any sort of hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored, anything like that, disclaimer, anywhere. And that crypto has since lost more than 99% of its value. And this is an attempt, basically, by the SEC to use Kim K as an example to smaller influencers that they need to be disclosing when they're being paid to say things, especially when those things are related to financial investments. The SEC even argued that she should have disclosed the amount that she was paid for this as part of the ad, which is interesting because it's pretty universal in contracts that you sign with brands when you agree to work with them as an influencer that... um, There's an NDA provision where you can't say how much they've paid you for it. So I don't know if maybe new regulations need to be afoot, specifically to online advertising and influencer advertising around financial investments that say you have to disclose the amount of money that you were paid to say these things. I honestly would be very in favor of that. I think that there is a lot of, because of these NDAs where we can't say how much we're being paid by brands. There's a huge lack of transparency where people the same size as me are getting paid more or less depending on like their negotiation skills. And no one has, no one gets to know that and we can't discuss it. And that means that leads to women and minorities being paid less because we tend to ask for less, which is why I have always gone in guns fucking a blazing in my brand deals being like, give me a million. Not really, but you know, coming in high. Just just in, out of spite of, I'm sure men are coming in at twice what I'm even saying, and I feel like I'm coming in high. You know what I mean? So the lack of transparency has led to less pay in, the, in, in, my, in this industry, in the influencer industry for women and minorities. Um, because, because we don't know how much each other is getting paid, and we can't tell each other that. Um, if you are in this space and you do want more transparency, there's a great website it's called fuck you pay me but the the website is fypm um dot vip and they have an instagram which is fypm dot vip where you can anonymously submit how much you've been paid to work with different brands and how big how many followers you were you had at the time so it's a way to kind of get around the lack of transparency by not disclosing who you are and just anonymously saying how much you've made off these brands. And it's a really great resource. So if you are an influencer or a micro-influencer or someone who makes money by, via brand deals, highly recommend if you pay me. The point being, uh, to also be careful <laughs> if you are an influencer when you are posting things. That's why, not this specifically always, but you need to post a hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored when you post stuff. Because either the SEC or someone else, some other government regulatory agency, um, is going to have a problem with you not disclosing when you're being paid to say things. It's part. It's basic ad law. Can civil cases like this hurt her chances of a law license? Probably not. Usually, your law license revolves around like criminal 
things you've done. What you did, you didn't know Kim K was in law school. She does online law school in California. You can do it without going to an official law school. You can study and take the bar. I don't know that it's so much that she doesn't know that. First of all, this is not something you would learn in like a first year of law class, this specific rule, but also like it's Kim K 1.26 million dollars is like chump change, you know? So I think it was more like, I don't care and I don't have to care because I'm so fucking rich that the rules don't really apply to me if you think about it. And that's that, my friends. It's 9-10. I got shit I got to do. I got a dentist appointment. I got teeth I got to get cleaned. Um, it's Tuesday. I hope you have a lovely Tuesday today. Uh, tomorrow morning. There will be a new edited video at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. Edited, it is finally going to be my video about unions and unionizing. Why are so many people unionizing? Let's talk about it. That's going to be tomorrow. That's going to be tomorrow. And then I'll be back live Thursday morning. All right. I have been now releasing these lives as podcasts over on everywhere you get your podcasts. It's called Live with Leisure. I also have posted a link to it on my community tab recently. You can always go check it out. So if you're trying to listen on the go, that's an option for you. And I'm starting to release the highlights from these as um, little separate TikToks and Instagram reels. So you can catch the highlights in little three or less minute segments, if that's how you would prefer to consume this content. I'm just trying to give the people everything they could ever want, okay? I hope you have a lovely Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 8.30 a.m. with a brand new edited video. Have a good day. Bye-bye.